you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. <laughs> Ready to go. Well, it's kind of funny. I, I, you know, I, I know we've talked about this. I really do tend not to have um, distractions, but... If you really do have, I'm waiting to hear from my garage company. I'm waiting to hear from my health people. You, you kind of have to be ready to jump on things. Like, for instance, I'm having, uh, you might, I got a crack in my windshield. A little right. rock jumped up. They, we, I made an appointment with Safe Light, which is the recommended one from one of the record ones from State Farm. And I just got a text from them that said, hey, confirm this appointment by four o'clock or it's canceled. And it's like, you know, what if I hadn't seen your text? I guess everybody assumes that everybody will always have their phone and always be responding within real time and all the kind of stuff. But I had, I don't know, I've had a couple times. I had a um, email that I didn't check compared to a voice message. And when people don't use what they first use to contact you, but they switch to something else, so you're not following the string, but you actually have to jump around. I unfortunately have a couple of friends that are like that. Whatever is in their hand or in front of them at the time is how they contact you. Instead of saying, how have we mostly been talking and make it easy and obvious? Right. So. <laughs> well, that's funny you say that today. We've been having some issues um, hmm. with uh, security and still, uh, compliance with like GDPR and things like that. And okay. it's a, trying to find that balance between how unsafe is it really, how much of a distract or how much of a disruption to business is making these other changes and yeah. how compliant are we and, and what information is going to be gotten out. You know, it, it's, uh, it, it's, and then to make it worse, like, for example, a company email. In some countries, that's considered personal information, and in others, it's considered public knowledge. So, unfortunately, you have to comply with the lowest common denominator, even that's if then right the other countries are like, well, why do we have to do this? It's not required. This is annoying. I don't want to do it this way. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah. so. I tell you, you know, Colleen nowadays works for One America and has for like 14 years now, and they seem to have a really good balance about that, about what is um, client-based information sensitive and an other where she worked for Schwab and I'll be happy to defame them. They had the weirdest policies for virtually anything that you sent out was considered to be uh, privileged information, even if you encrypted it, even if you guaranteed. And so she would get things from clients that in order to manipulate stuff in a spreadsheet and send it back to them, she would use the same channel that they had sent, but because it was the client's encryption channel, their SSL or whatever they did, it wasn't Schwab's, it was considered non-standard, therefore not safe. And she never did that. She, uh, she had to uh, explain that again and again and again, that I can't, we can't enforce our internal standards on other people or they'll stop communicating with us entirely. We can't make do without these documents. So is there a way that the whole world can say, use, um, I don't know, there's not only one encryption standard, but even if you're doing things on the net, there's pretty standard secure socket layer stuff or 
VPN type stuff. So if you're using one of those tools, you should be able to say, there's like 10 tools that all do the same thing and they're all equally good. There's not only one, whatever one you think is your company's approved one, you gotta like widen your purview <laughs> so that you can see that, and really it might be that it isn't a matter of which one to use. It's like, we know that these are insecure. You know what I mean? If you're still using WPA is WPA2, and it has been, WPA has been broken for a long time. Same with the level of encryption, 64-bit, 128-bit, it's no longer sufficient. you got to use like 256 right. triple desks or something and, like that. And, it, it's, and <laughs> a lot of the websites I do are pretty, outside of work, are pretty uh, standard, you know, nothing major. The worst is they may have a cookie because they're using WordPress. Even if there's no login or anything like that, they have to alert right. you. But so the SSL we use is just like the lowest common one just to have the icon that doesn't look broke up in the URL bar. But for work with privacy and information, we are spending like hundreds of dollars to have that SSL. And the only difference is uh, they say it's a, more secure with the encryption. and it, But it's the same technology and all of that. But they charge so much for it because, well, you have to. So Yeah. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny. That's a whole very interesting world that, like, if you want to get into where you have your own certificate and you want to – remember way back when there was um, – and bear with me, uh, Phil – I'm blanking on some of these things today, whatever. There was an early form of encryption that was very powerful. Uh, powerful, but not standard government stuff. And it was even named not the government standard. You know what I'm trying to say? And so people, anybody who was trying to appear official would poo-poo the freeware, shareware, easy, but provably mathematically correct encryption that you only could use the Microsoft approved one. And that was a real rift in the community for a long time. Um, like, you know, kind of uh, bear with me, PGP, it was pretty good PGP, privacy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. And and so, you know, Phil Zimmerman, one of my heroes, like he must have explained calmly, rationally a million times. Here's how it works. Here's how we know it works. Here's why it is as good as anything else out there. And because I am dedicatedly continually monitoring every time that there's an improvement, I've already we, we bake in the new best things all the time. There is indeed the risk that fiery bus crash scenario. I will die, but I've already put my code in escrow. So he like had made it in every way that it was a good guy doing a good thing for the world. And yet the people who want to make money found every way they could to defame him. And, and it just was, wow, this is wearing me down. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Prove yours mathematically, and, not from and, obfuscation. No. <laughs> I, I mean, there are government agencies that are still using Windows XP because they haven't approved anything beyond that. I mean, and yeah. yet we're yeah. going to be worried about, if someone finds out my business email address. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I just made a reference to this and it kind of ties into that. You know, there's all kinds of um, hypocrisy, incredible hypocrisy about, Hey, um, who used what email server for government versus personal business. But then if you check into virtually anyone nowadays, you can see that they don't maintain their own high standards. Right. It's almost impossible to do so. And I shouldn't say that. It isn't even that difficult, but you just have to be rigorous or you have to have a very clear idea in your mind as to what's government and official and only use this box and this set of tools and this environment that you've set up. And on your phone, you can be lax, but that's just it. On your phone, you don't say, and the nuclear codes are this. You know what I mean? You, you, And so the fact that, that people won't go into the rigor of 
there are standards. And if we follow the standards, we're going to be okay. You can't say one way or the other, will she use an external email server? Yeah, but her internal email, external email server was triple, etc. encrypted. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, provably better than what the government uses. Like you said, they're still on XP for the Department of Agriculture or whatever else it might be. So I have had eyes glaze over way too many times <laughs> trying to explain that. I, as you know, I worked for Progressive as director of databases for five years. And uh, I had a big discussion about an encryption standard that they wanted to adopt. And it was one of those where it wasn't one of the government standards or proved mathematically standards. It was a company that just said, well, nobody knows our stuff, so they can't break it. And it's like, you, you know nothing about attacks. You know nothing about mathematics. That the, you know, the only way to guarantee it is with this rigorous, how they do, the prime number, unsearchable, et cetera, et cetera, and that you being sneaky secret it's going to last until somebody with a lot of computing power just trains their hounds on you. You'll be broken in minutes. And I, and despite all of, not only my saying that, but bringing in the articles that say, here's how we know that blowfish and twofish, and you know, this is now 20 years ago, the various different standards of the day, that these are not only um, using correct mathematics, but they put themselves out there to be challenged, to be tested, and they can prove that there's no way in with a current amount of computing power that this can be broken in real time. Because some things, as you know, they're not unbreakable, but it would take the number of grains on the sand at the beach at Santa Monica, so that gives you 7.8 years before it gets broken. And then as computing power goes up, that becomes 7.8 months, or that becomes, you know, like quantum computing, that's one of the biggest things they talk about, is when it makes it that that can be done, you know, with the snap of a fingers, because the parallel processing that you get from superposition when quantum computing will break every current encryption that we have, then what are we going to do? <laughs> yeah. and, so, and that's one of the things we're doing with, right now with work is reevaluating to make things stronger and more secure and more compliant uh, because now clients are starting to notice more. Uh, and, you know, I remember still, I've still got, some people I talk to every now and then, uh, other websites, and they're like using the simplest password because they're like, ah, eh, you know, and I'm like, dude, it's just, you know, you can't do that. And, and my kids, they get mad at me because they're like, hey, what's the Netflix password? I send it to them. They're like, how the hell am I going to remember that? I'm like, you're not supposed to. That's the point. Exactly. You know? that and, and then it changes. They're like, why did you change it? Because I got a notice that on the dark web, somebody hacked Netflix or whatever it happens to <laughs> yes, be. Exactly. I find one of the best things that multiple browsers are doing nowadays is when you go into a website that you haven't been to for two years and they come back and say that password that you used here, not only have you reused it for more than one site, a big bad thing that I unfortunately have done more than once, but it's also, this has been out in the wild. We've seen this out at one of the dark sites. And so I, I have a standard set of, it's not so much a single password, of course. It's a set of how do I personalize it to each website so it will be different, but also something that I can remember. And so I think I've mentioned I use song lyrics and some parts of that, whether it's words, capital letters, that kind of stuff. And because they can go nice and lengthy, if you can get to a nice 48 character, whatever, you know, that's what's the longest, probably 36 or something. I'm trying to think some places they don't even let me do it yeah. when my, this is the weirdest thing, some pretty heavy financial websites limit it to like a 20 character password. It's like, there's only so obscure you can get in 20 characters. You're not giving me the ability to really lock this down 
And so I have to maintain multiple passwords, multiple different places. And I don't know, even the song lyrics, the minute that I read that, probably Wired Magazine or something like that, you know that there were a team of 13-year-old Romanian kids that started to put in every single possible song lyric from all the lyric sites ever, ever. So they have their massive brute force database and in multiple languages so that now my thinking I'm being all obscured because, hey, they'll never guess that I like Kansas. No, (laughs) they've got my number just like every other, you know what I mean? Pretty standard. They're always going to look for your wife's name, your uh, like pretty, and like, and and it's kind of, I know that it's kind of funny. I've mentioned this multiple times thinking that everybody will just nod understandingly and say, oh, yeah. And instead, some people have really been spooked by when you're on Facebook or any number of other social media sites and they say, hey, let's play a game. What was your first car? Right. I was just going to say that. Where'd you go to junior high school? And like, you're letting them, you're giving away what you think is obscure. The mother's maiden name. It doesn't stop there. The one I've tried to explain to people (laughs) is, it's like, hey, um, could you do such and such? Or, or, okay, better example. I get an email from a certain couple people and I always forward it to them saying, hey, it looks like your phone has a bad app on it because it's mining your contacts and it's sending me these messages. Like, no, I haven't done anything. Okay, well, then you go to find out well, yeah, I, no, I just installed that flashlight app so I could use a flashlight. It was free. Flashlights, those are rife. Those are notorious. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I try to explain to them, I'm like, anything that's free, you got to suspect, especially on Android. And they don't get it. And then they say, oh, no, I can't uh, tell you my password to that because I'm paranoid about someone getting my password. You're 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 asking them to take it is what you're doing. <laughs> exactly. Please, please let me put this app on that says I can use all of your personal information. Take a look at your photos. Take a look at you. exactly I, no, my kids. Like, my kids. I'm like, oh wow, that's a you know they do these little TikTok apps or YouTube or whatever. I'm like, hey that's pretty cool. What app did you use? Oh I got this thing on my phone. It was free. I'm like <laughs> Please tell me my name and number is not on your phone. You know, right? Exactly. Well, of course it is because I don't know how to memorize a phone number anymore. <laughs> you know, this this segues nicely into one of the things that we said we might talk about. Apple today, just yes. no Monday, Monday put out a new <clears throat> um, iOS update that makes it so that the um, information that you allow apps to collect and what they do with it is. Uh, controllable per each app by the user. And there's been all kinds of stuff in the press, hue and cry over all the places that depend on your willingness to give away your trackability so they can target ads better for you. And so I, you know, there's a certain wisdom to that. I got tired of ridiculous spam. You know what I mean? They don't need to send me wedding gowns if I'm a guy or if I'm not, whatever it might be. But then it's also really disconcerting. Like we have talked about to say, I thought I just like said that out loud and now they're sending me snowshoe ads. Yeah. How in the world? Yeah. Well, Apple's kind of, they're, they're good about letting the users be in control of their experience. Even Apple can't get to the password that you've used to, you know, as evidenced by the one court case, right? Where they were demanding that this um, suspect, I don't know if it was a terrorist or a criminal that, they couldn't get into his phone and Apple couldn't get into the phone either, even though they kept insisting there must be a back door. There must be a, no, there really isn't those facilities. It's et cetera, et cetera. Well, 
this is a real shot across the bow of all of those. It used to be double click was the biggest progenitor. And yeah. I date myself by 20 years by saying that nowadays there's virtually no app. It's like what's the saying? If uh, you're getting something for free, uh, the product is you. Yeah, that they're exactly. collecting your information, that they're tracking you so they can target their ads more closely. They are building profiles of you. They're going to be very useful in all number of different ways. And not just for the relatively innocuous thing of trying to sell something, but like, well, I won't go into paranoia, except that that always has seemed to be that there's a transactionality to it. And it shouldn't be that anything that you do is what they've gotten and that you don't even know about, but there should be some more participation on our part to say, I'm comfortable to this level, but not further than that. Well, Apple has just done something about that. And I'm looking forward, you know, it matters to me, not only the anecdotes, because the plural of anecdote is not data. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's got to be data that's going to get collected as to has online advertising really dropped off? Has you know, those places that are great at it suddenly found, oh my God, we're thwarted. No, it's going to be a big mixture of who does it, who does it with rigor, who does it and then lets it sit for a while. So it goes kind of back by, by decay to being now they're tracking you again. I'm hoping I haven't I don't have the experience of yet on my iPhone where it's going to every time I bring something up, say, hey, are you aware that this mapping software, this shopping software, this flashlight app is tracking you, is tracking your location, is tracking your web clicks. It put a single pixel somewhere on your browser experience and it follows you around. I'm looking forward to seeing what they betray about how many places have been tracking me all along and I didn't have a clue. I have so many thoughts and perspectives on this from different aspects of my life. Yeah. Um, and what you just mentioned, that's one aspect from the developer standpoint. There's a lot of developers out there going, oh, dear God, because it's going to completely break their app, completely break whatever they've got. Because oh, yeah. and, and the problem is users are just so used to this stuff just working, especially on Apple. Everything I do just works and it's beautiful. Now suddenly things aren't working. They're breaking. It's giving me bad information. That's going to cause a bad user experience, which is exactly what Apple hates and does not want ever. I mean, the amount of time they put into making sure that little button is in the right position and the right size to be the best user experience with the right color. And, you know, right. I think that's going to be one issue out of yeah. all of this. I'll tell you, I really feel that, you know, it's kind of what we often have geeked it up about. Well, back in my days of COBOL and Fortran, but you need to go back all that way. If you just go back to the early days of the web and learning HTML and learning that without a cookie, it was really hard to maintain state. Yeah. You couldn't give someone the same screen. Like if you're going to try to sell travel and you want to keep track of, have they looked into this before? And do you want to get them to the same trip that they had once said that you said, well, can I save it or not? There was all kinds of work that was done as to how can I use something, some combination of uh, uh, to, some combination of factors to get to a unique identifier so that I would be able to give the user a continuous experience from session to session instead of every session starting from blank page from zero. And unfortunately, once some of those things got collected and put into a, a, not an API, but like a foundation class, everybody started to use that. And they weren't always like friendly. They were a lot of, I can put this thing and it will persist forever and no one will know. And so now everybody has your data because they know how to tap into that at a developer level and you don't realize that they know how to do that. So 
not just a little reflection, I guess, on as a coder, even then I was like, I want to do this, but I sure don't want to do it. Where if they found out what I was doing, they'd be pissed. Right. You right. know what I mean? Right. So. <laughs> but then there's the other aspect that, like I told you the other day, I want, there's a piece of software I was looking for and I liked it and I couldn't remember it. I didn't bookmark it or anything like that, but I knew I had seen it in an ad on Facebook. So I went to Google. I did a search for other similar software, looked at all those pages. Then I went over and started scrolling on Facebook. Hey, there's the ad. Click. Yeah, yeah here it is. Let me just put this on a platter for you, sir. Yes, exactly. I know what you've been looking for. <laughs> so my point is uh, sometimes there is convenience. Like, yes, we do like to see the things that, um, you know, pertain to us. You know, I hate when I'm watching TV and I see some commercial for medicine or some medical condition that I don't have, I don't care. Or they're showing me a Maserati commercial. Not only can't I not afford a Maserati, I'm not that interested in them. But if you want to show me a Mustang, uh, okay, I might watch that just to see, you know? So So then it's like a blunt tool. It's not that the tools are all bad. It's that I want a tool that really is going to learn more about me so that it gets the nuance of what I like and what I don't. Right. The profiles that they build are are not always that sophisticated, that they're blunt. And and, and I think a lot of people may argue this, but they don't realize that if you go to a certain style of restaurant and they tell you about this other new restaurant across town that's opening just like it that you'll love and you go and you love it, that is good marketing. That's what you want because you're not hit. Service. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're not hit with 500 restaurants that are opening that you don't like. You're just shown the one that you want. That's people don't realize that's what we want. If you read a book and you tell me about it, or I listen to music and tell you about it, we write it down and we go check it out because someone told us with similar interests. That's what marketing should do, but. Now they're using it. They get your information. They sell it to 500 companies or they give you a free software app where you give them all the information and they sell it to 5,000 companies. Uh, you know, that's the bad thing. And that's what they're trying to protect against. But I'm also, think, go ahead. No, I just, uh, you know, I don't even know that I have a question of how many places that might want to sell it to, except that there's also a uh, data decays. You know what I mean? Like people laugh about how, hey, I just bought a lawnmower. And then you start seeing ads for lawnmowers. It's like, I don't want a two for one on this. I just need the one and right. we'll need the one for 20 years. So again, maybe it's a matter of the sophistication of the tool, but it, it is even a matter of uh, whatever I'm looking for now, it shouldn't be that I can't ever get out of that. When I start seeing things from five years ago, that somehow that data template of me is still floating around as if that's current me, that's kind of scary that my fingerprint, my supposed profile is out there forever. And it's being bandied about, sold to so many different places with no sophistication or updates that like, I don't know if I was married and now I'm divorced and I'm sad about that, but I keep seeing newlywed stuff. You know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, And I, <laughs> and I think you, you hit it exactly there, but it's only partially the sophistication of the tools. The other part is the marketers themselves because, and I've learned this through my publishing and authorship and uh, all the things that a lot of those guys that do the marketing, they're like, well, I just want to get it in front of everybody. And they, they don't get finessed to it. And I had a client years ago that, 
created the accessible vans. They took regular Ford vans and made them accessible for people with wheelchairs or uh, cool. missing limbs, yeah. whatever. Uh, so they had multiple customizations they would do to suit you because everybody's right. a little different. For and that was, really needs that. That's a wonderful thing. That's you know? great. Okay. You know, yeah. Good company uh, right yeah. here in Akron. Um, and I've seen their little logo on the back of vans all over the country. All right. Now, when I was working with them on SEO and advertising, they – the, the sales guy, why they would put me with their top sales guy. <laughs> like he knew anything about SEO, but he was the marketing guy. Right. And he insisted- A little bit of culture clash in terms of what used to work and oh, what's working now and that well, maybe it's oh, the God, same no. exact skill set. Okay. <laughs> not yeah. even that. He insisted that they be number one in Google for the keyword of van. I'm like, why? He's like, because when people look for a van, anything with a van, we want to show up. I'm like, but they're not all your customer. You know, out of 100 people looking for a van, 10 of them might have disabilities that need your service. So right. there's other it's 90. the rifle versus the shotgun approach. You know what I yeah. mean? Do you want? Yeah, okay. So mm. literally, they were spending four and a half to five dollars per click and for the word van. You're and right. he was bragging because they were showing up for van all the time and their monthlies they were spending like forty thousand dollars a month on this keyword and, and i'm not have a conversion rate i mean were they making forty thousand dollars oh in? god yeah once they would okay. if they got those 10 sales it more than covered that whole it was amount worth it. Yeah. but i kept trying to point out you're still wasting money you only want to show it to those 10 people, <laughs> you know, you might actually show it to 20. Okay, great. But you don't need to show it to 4,000 people a month. It, it, it's not helping you. But my point is that's, you know, the type of thing that if you're not sophisticated with marketing, you just blanket and you try and get it everywhere. And we talk about that in the books a whole lot that if you write sci-fi vampire Amish science fiction <laughs> you don't want to send it to the romance people because they won't buy it you, you're not or going even to the sci-fi people in general because yes. it's specific enough it's exactly very yeah. specific and but if you find those hundred people that will read your book they'll read everything you wrote there you go so exactly. th that's the martin but that's what we don't get and that's kind of what is you know partly what's triggered this from apple uh, and facebook now, because yeah. funny, I just got an email about the changes and the impact and Facebook is, I think they're going to be hurting and struggling. A lot of people are already talking about, well, what's the point in Facebook if we can't send it to anybody? Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting to have uh, not only collusion between the Titans, but to actually have some differing philosophies and competition and so forth and finding out that. They don't all want to do TV in the same way. They don't all want to do advertising in the same way. And the privacy, and you know what I mean? It, it's nice to see that they're kind of like big enough so that they can fight the war while we watch what's going to happen instead of, if I don't want to have my advertising stuff sold, what chance do I have unless I just divorce myself from social media to be able to make a dent in that, you know? So, in fact, a, a little bit related, one of the odd things about this situation is it's not only wanting to not um, to have more targeting and more blanketing, but that when the, the cost of everything goes to free, I mean, you must have read some of the books, court cases about spamming, that it used to be that you would send things out at like, you know, uh, good 
mass marketing rate was a 4% return, which seems incredibly small, but because of third and fourth class, I guess third class in particular, right, mailing, you could still make money. And then you find out that coupon rate is like half a percent, but that it's still worth doing because you just get brand awareness and whatever. But when you find out that spam rates was like, one that they would send out cabillions of spam as long as they got any kind of interest whatsoever. These guys just had these server farms that did nothing but blanket the world with spam. And like, and then it becomes kind of a public health hazard, right? It's such an annoyance. It's filling so many in baskets. And I guess, you know, we're kind of, again, doing a little bit of time travel and trading between email versus social media, but the principles are the same. If I'm on Facebook and I keep seeing an ad for a Frank Zappa album, either I don't care about Frank Zappa or I already bought it and I don't want to see it anymore, there's no continuity that says, well, he went in and bought it. You can shut up now. It's very weird to have it so evidenced that they don't really care about you. They care about, you know, that little digital version of you. And there's never a time that the advertiser isn't going to say, yeah, hit that group again. If I can get another 1% by inconveniencing the 99% that have already rejected it or bought it or whatever, it's an odd thing to see people say, I really am willing to piss 99 people off in order to get one sale. Yeah. You know, so. (laughs) And I'm not, this probably is very, very stereotyped, but a lot of that spamming uh, is from other countries hitting the stupid Americans, <laughs> you know, and they're not even paying for it. They, they've got their servers zombied across the world from people making mistakes and they send it all out from <laughs> all of that. So they they just hit a button and all their bots all over the world send it out from zombied uh, PCs that they don't even, people don't even realize are being used. And right. they get, yeah, again, if they only get a couple people, okay, they made some money yeah. on it. And I guess another thing is, you know, it's I, I guess when you think about um, memes, viruses in a population, like what's the transport mechanism for some things? And that's the way you fight some of these things is you can't necessarily defeat malaria, but you can defeat mosquitoes, its biggest transmission vector. So you got spam. And what does spam also carry? Oftentimes malware of various different flavors, spoofing attacks and, you know, the, 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 all of it, ransomware. And the more that you allow that culture that just says spray everybody with spam, that from the sophisticated to the naive user, they're all going to get it. And not everybody's going to, um, people will really get hurt, not just inconvenienced by the fact that this thing exists and it, they not only spam, but they're very convincing about how they look like uh, Microsoft, but you don't realize that the S in Microsoft oh, is man. actually the Cyrillic character for S. I just read about this. You know what I mean? That they actually, they're using now other alphabets and that it, it used to be, you could just say, well, that's not really consumer reports. That's consumer report. So that's wrong. I don't trust them. Now it looks, feels, tastes exactly from human senses, like various different things, because you're not going to pull up your ASCII, your EBCDIC table, you know, I'm just teasing, about what characters really are and say, oh, that's how they look just like what they want to, but that's not the website that that goes to. Oh, they they, they even do more than that. I mean, I get emails, and it's funny, because I have multiple domains. I'll get emails from administrator at your domain. You better contact them immediately. And I'm like, oh, I should call my administrator. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait. Yeah, yeah, wait, that would be me. Exactly. <laughs> and, but they, they word these so people are like, oh, well, okay, maybe I should just check it. And they'll click the button, which takes them to a site that is the exact identical to your normal email login. Looks That's identical. That's right. When I've gone down that rabbit hole, I was like, wow, they really did the work. 
to fake being me mm-hmm. at thesmartlife.com. But, you know, how much have they harvested before I even became aware of this? Who knows? Right. How do I stop them? Ugh. And even worse, with all those zombie emails on spam, a lot of times they're just trying to see what mailboxes are active. Uh, did this get checked within an hour or within three days? And it gives them a better list, and then they do other things. Exactly. It's kind of, I mean, that really is, if you if you just read the history of that, all those various different attacks, like you said, they, were, they, did, they don't really care about whether you fall for anything or not. They care about, are you going to respond at all? If you respond to the email that says, take me off your list, that's in itself a response. So they know your email is live right. and that you're checking it, like you said, within an hour or a day. And that doesn't get your name removed. It just refines the profile they have of you as to how much of a live one are you? (laughs) And, and, you know, we've, uh, it's been said, you know, such and such security, whether it's a lock on a gate or a camera, you know, doesn't really stop the bad guys that are going to get in. They're going to get in anyway. It just hurts the the other people. And uh, some of this, and I'm not saying Apple shouldn't do the security measures, but I know a lot of authors they are struggling to get an audience to get people to just look at their book and see it in the sea of thousands of books every day. And Facebook is one way they get to do that. They can find groups and pages that like their type of thing and have ads appear for them. Now on Facebook, I can say, I don't want any more ads like this, or I don't want any more ads from this company or whatever. They do have that option. But now with Apple blocking that stuff, just from Apple, you know, it's going to be harder. And for some of these authors who are not trying to spam people, who are not trying to be annoyances, just to get their name out in front of people. And if I'm a sci-fi reader or a fantasy reader, I want to know about the new fantasy books. But now, without even knowing it, I might completely block that from happening and I'll never see any good new fantasy books because you're exactly right. The users don't always understand and realize the complete implications and ramifications of the actions of what they're blocking. Yeah. uh, Boy, uh, I thought about it from both of those perspectives. One, I don't want to have my security be so tight that I don't get that one random nap, you know, like, wow, I wasn't even aware that this existed, but it seems like this is a series I'd be interested in. Or I didn't know that this author, author had now started to write mysteries instead of science fiction. Sure, I'll give it a try. I didn't so know I David Bowie had an album they just discovered. I want that. Like that, exactly. Having said that, I'm also aware, this is kind of funny, you know, I have uh, been the communications chair, kind of the publicity guy for a couple men's annual gatherings, a, a couple things over the course of my life. And I tend to be like, hey, kids, let's put on a show. We're going to have fun. I write in an enthusiastic style that I'm pretty sure spam filters go, this guy's uh, trying to nail you. He's just trying to overcome, you know, your natural reticence by saying, it's going to be cool. And it's so fun. And wow, it's amazing. And like the more that I put, especially in subject lines or in first lines of posts, I kind of have to like self-censor myself, tone myself down so that I don't look like someone who's trying to overcome people's natural barriers. And and it's kind of weird, you know what I mean? To be like, can I be like... I'm not trying to be a bot, but they now have bots that are so good at writing something that really looks like an important press release, something that really looks like a persuasive sales pitch. And like, how do I unbot myself? You know, all the all the craft that I've learned about how to use 
um, action words and, you know, break up the length of your sentences. So there's a certain dynamism to your prose and all that kind of stuff. When someone has been able to code for that, so there's like a virtual running around out there. <laughs> and I now I have to like not be me. I wonder about that sometimes, you know. It's <laughs> so let, let me tell you about this new thing I've discovered along these lines for security. So I, I like I said, I have a lot of websites. I run some mail for some of my clients. A couple clients, I've got the, the website, but not the email for various reasons. Well, one guy I work with a lot um, started having trouble sending email to any of our domains. Uh, that on my server, I'm like, oh crap! So I look into it. Well, so you got blacklisted, or he didn't whitelist you, or whatever. No, that, okay, please. no, oh, it's sorry. Even, it's even. It's worse than that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it turns out, and I worked with support. Uh, I have a server, so I can get into support a little quicker sometimes. Um, and I, I worked with them. They said, "Oh, this company." I'm like, "What do you mean?" And they're like, "Well, there's this company that has a blacklist." of servers. And what they do is if a somebody is spamming from a server, they'll blacklist the whole range of IP addresses. Exactly. It's not your specific domain. It's a whole range. That's yes. right. That's right. So this company with the blacklist that now my friend's email company is looking at, or no, my server company is looking at, this company isn't even legit. They're just doing it so they can blackmail the email company to pay to get off the list. They just put people on this blacklist so they and get wait money. for their pain to reach the level that they'll pay yeah. to get off. Yeah, they have no idea if anyone's spamming or not. They just got the IP addresses. So right, it, hostage taking. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh my what, god. What do you do in that case? My friend was <laughs> like, "Well, what can I do?" I'm like, "Um, well, bend over." Uh, you know, I mean. Oh man. Yeah. And, and, and then we said, well, we should sue them. Well, not if they're based out of Tuvalu. Yeah. And there's well, no, you know, there's the, the, no way of knowing who's really behind. Yeah. According <laughs> to their registration and the routing that I can trace, it's right. the penguins in Antarctica. So, you know, good luck on that. Yeah, I just got my actual, my annual prompt to make sure that my who is information is current for my yes. various different domains. And so it's like, I hope this never helps someone to be able to get to me in case they want to. But I'm also aware that this is this. This has stopped being a useful facility long ago when it became the world of spoofing and the world of, oh, man. And, and you can oh, protect man. it. Hey, for $6 a year, we'll protect <laughs> that data. No one will see it. Well, except for you now. <laughs> right. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. So that's the life. So uh, I'm dealing a lot with that. Again, it was kind of fortuitous about the whole iOS thing. I'm interested to see what happens because, I, like I said, I do know a lot of authors that have done very well with Facebook. And I've actually started looking into it because my um, you know, person I'm selling to are parents of middle grade school kids, are grandparents that have grandchildren. And where do a lot of those people go? Facebook, because they're my age and that's where our age, that's our social media. Okay. So it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with yeah. that. And a, a shout out to my friend Jay Thorne, author, and he runs a mastermind, the Author Success Mastermind. Shout out to cool. him. Okay. He has been saying for years and pushing along with others that the best way to market is that personal touch, that face-to-face. -to -face, it's slower but exactly. once you get people, you keep them and they're a rabid fan. You have that tribe. Instead of getting 100 people and 90 of them disappear over time, you only get those 10 to start with. So all of this doesn't matter as much if you're getting those people personally.
So exactly. shout out to him for that. Honestly, so that's a great thought. And I know I've also read that in the past, you know, when they had, um, how do you turn your customers into raving fans? You know, that, that all those ratings they used to do of, hey, what do you think of us from zero to 10? That unless you got, I would recommend your service to others, you had failed. You want people to turn into people that not only liked you, but they will actually say to people who they know trust them, I vouch for them. I'm willing to say this is a good book, this is a good record, this is a good website, whatever else it might be. And I think that that's always what I wanted, I still want Relentless Geekery to turn into. I have very nice feedback from Jerry that said, she listens to our podcast with like Hi, Amazon Jerry. open and paper and pencil so she can take notes and that she's been turned on to cool books, cool movies, cool TV, cool music, nice. whatever else it might be. And so, you know, that's when you, when you talked about, Hey, we should make these various different things kind of a regular uh, installment. We really should. I think I, I've always loved this. The Mensa conversation where it is, tell me about the book that unless you told me about it, I might not have discovered it on my own, but you, you'll give me this thing as a gift, the awareness that this thing exists and you, and that you don't even need to know if you know me well, then you can say, I know you'll love this. But if you even just say, I loved it. And if I think that our tastes are anywhere near similar out of, out of the drinking from the fire hose aspect of going to Barnes and Noble and having, you know, a whole section of science fiction, my being told you really should try this new series because it's really good. I love those recommendations. I love music like that. I love games like that where someone vouches for it, if you will. And I think that we have that ability. You know what I mean? It, when, as our readership grows, it's kind of a virtuous circle of people are going to say, wow, the last 10 things they recommended, I tried them all and I loved them. And so it, it isn't that everybody has exactly the same taste because it's far from people, far from all geeks have the same taste. Right. But just to get all those... Um, little surfacings of things that they, instead of just being, I don't know where to start. I, I kind of like the serendipity of going to a bookstore and reading blurbs on covers and seeing and, and finding out, you know, who is doing a new series that I wasn't aware of. And yet I also really like it when someone says, you know, if you haven't read Pat Patrick Rothfuss, you really should. He, he's, he's maddening because he's got two books, two and a half books out in 20 years or whatever, yeah. and waiting for that third one. And it's going to be great when it finally comes out. So in fact, I have a friend, Jeff, who like um, until the entire series is out, he won't even buy him or start him because he doesn't want to be, oh my God, three out of four were done. And then the guy died. So or it's making me crazy waiting for the next one because he's taken his sweet ass George R. R. Martin time. Well, or whatever else Jeff, so poor be. Jeff is never going to read the Hardy Boys because other authors <laughs> have picked that up and they're still continuing it. And in fact, That's there's right a new too. TV show. There's a new Hardy Boys TV show on Hulu. <laughs> uh, Jeff, just break it up, man. Read Hardy Boys. You're like 40 years too late. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, that's, is this, I think that this is a very, a modern phenomenon. I know it's happened before, but what you just talked about, there are certain people that they, they created a rabid fan base because they had a huge series, very popular. Well, then they died, but nobody wants to see the Spencer series stop. So Robert B. Parker is dead, I think, 10 or 12 years now, but there's been multiple continuations, and it wasn't just Spencer. It was also Jesse Stone. It was also Sonny Randall, and I think also the, um, Bear with me, Virgil, uh, Virgil Cole and Everett Hitch, his Western books, they found an author that could write in the style, um, kind of with keep up the transition, not talking, the tradition, that the transition wasn't so jarring that people would be like, oh, they got a second rate hack. And now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm even, I feel like I've been 
like Bamboozled. No, I've read multiple continuations of things like that. And I have such affection for the characters that even if they're not exactly Parker, they're enough close. And I don't know, I, as an author, I don't know that I'd want to do that. It's kind of like being a perpetual ghostwriter instead of breaking yeah. out on your own. But you got a built-in fan base. You know, they, they dangle that contract. They back a truckload of money up to your, you know, yeah. up to your house and say, "Hey." <laughs> it's actually much more common than you may think that there are author pseudonyms that different houses have. That it's an in-house pseudonym, and some of the series out are completely written by a different person every time. They just use the same pseudonym and hire it out and it's very very common to the fact uh like this one uh series uh, it's very pulp fiction-ish type series called deathlands uh that okay. colin got into and it was like you know four thousand books or something i'm like holy yeah. crap Is that like I'm... james axler or something yes, like that james axler yep yep <laughs> it, it's a house name there have been like 12 authors or something that have written those books. That's, that's how come they can get five a year. Yeah. They just get five. I've months. read some of those. And I guess I can believe that because as compared to like, when you read a whole bunch of Don Pendleton's, the executioner, he really had a style and it really yes. was him. And then when they started to branch off into other authors, handling um, able team or Phoenix force or handling Mac Bolin after a while, you really could tell the difference. Yes. But, you know what and, I mean? And, 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 <laughs> there, there's, I guess I haven't read it for a while, but there's a series. My series of the week is Deathlands. They okay. weren't super great at all. I mean, if you've ever seen a movie that you're like, wow, I think they made that in their backyard for $100, this is the book equivalent of that. That's but right. if you're just like need some entertainment for a couple hours and you right. brain 250 dead, pages of, hey, they're zombies, let's shoot them and exactly. whatever else it might be. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, I've read several of them. Worse, oh, worse yet, I actually have a couple audio books. I've listened to them on drives <laughs> just because, again, they're not the highest quality. And I'm not saying the authors are bad. It was just a certain level they were at, probably because they had to get it done quick and they had to right, keep the same right. throughout the series. But you can listen to it, find some enjoyment at you know a minimal level at the at least, and they're fun. So you know exactly. it's got some some benefit. What's funny is you know that for me that wasn't even a new phenomenon. You know I I started reading a lot of pulps when I was young because I loved the old Doc Savage, The Shadow, Operator yeah. Number Five, those kinds of things. And then as I read the histories of those things, I had that exact same discovery that even though Lester Dent. The, the real guy behind the Kenneth Robeson Doc Savage name, he wrote like 160 out of 181. He really had an amazing, sustained burst of creativity, but not every one of them. And then when I read, oh, it was, um, you know, Bill Nagedorf or something for this one or this one, it's like, there was something off about that one. You know, Mick <laughs> and Ham didn't fight the way they usually did, that it was, they had. It was, it was something different, that it wasn't the, the perfect Lester Dent. And same, uh, Walter Gibson wrote The Shadow Books as Maxwell Grant, and there's like 630 of those. God. And he did an amazing number of them. But same thing, you find out that there were other, there's blocks of works that have been done by other things. So I guess I don't have any problem with, if I enjoyed it, it doesn't, I'm not only a purist, I kind of am used to that that people in that case i don't think it was that lester Dent died i think it was he was so overworked that he had to take a break in the pulps they used to knock out like a book a month if not a book a week think of that and they he had to take a break once in a while you know what i mean his fingertips were bleeding <laughs> <because> of, <laughs> there, there, 
there are definitely times with different circumstances. Uh, you know, Robert Jordan died, and they got Sanderson to finish that series because to finish the Wheel of Time. Yeah, exactly. his wife actually approved it and talked with Brandon right. and stuff. So I mean, that was I think we talked about this a little bit before that the Herbert books. You know, Frank yeah. Herbert wrote a whole bunch of Dune, his, and now his son. Yes. and I think Brandon Sanderson or another collaborator, uh, Anderson, on, Kevin J. Anderson. That's what it is, Kevin J. Anderson. That they. Uh, they're filling in like the prequels and the sequels and the other yeah. kind of like expanding the Dune universe, if you yeah. will. And I've actually liked a lot of them. You know, I didn't mind reading more about the origin of the Bene Gesserit or where, you know what I mean? Just that it was, I had questions and they were actually like, they know that the fans, their fans too, man, we wanted to know more, more about how this came to be. And they did a real good job creating that plausible backstory. Yeah. I thought it was kind of cool. And, and uh, Dacre Stoker, Who's the great grandnephew of Bram Stoker? Uh, oh with my! Jamie Parker and made the sequel to Dracula. Um, I did so. not know that one. That's a cool one. Okay. okay, I'm going. I'm going to name drop for a moment for you, Alan. Sure. sure. <laughs> okay, wait, wait. Let me name drop in a minute. I also wanted to mention uh, Conan, uh, Sprague, and DeCamp, right? Uh, right, that, did all the continuation of Robert yes. Robert E. Howard exactly? That, yes, those were very well done. Uh, they they did very well with those. Okay, so here here's okay. my name dropping for you yes. here for a second. So, <laughs> Dacre Stoker is the great grandnephew, I believe, of Bram Stoker, okay. uh, and they hired J.D. Barker to help work with him and write this official sequel to Dracula. They okay, this is some cool story stuff. Uh, <laughs> so. Dacre is trying to really enliven his great-granduncle's estate. He took some early works and poems and letters and has turned them into graphic novels that he had a kickstart for. Um, better yet, he came across a, a pre-first edition Dracula. Now, back in the day, people used to read books because you couldn't go to as many used bookstores or whatever. They'd read a book and write their name and date in the back and pass it on to someone else. Well, he has a book signed by Bram Stoker that was published before it got released out to the public that Bram gave to like his son who his passed it on. His personal lending copy, yeah. if you will. So this book has been not only to England, but down to Australia, and he uncovered it at some distant relative living in Canada. How cool is that? So he took this book to a guy that makes authentic first editions, who has a, a trademarked method to make books look, smell, and feel like first editions, and they put these on Kickstarter. So you could get a, an official, real first edition Bram Stoker Dracula to the point where they have the smell. So it smells the same. They found the, a company that still makes the exact same type of paper to print it on. Cover um, made out of human leather. Yeah, okay. something like that. <laughs> uh, he has a process that he will not reveal on uh, aging the cover and all of okay. that. Yes. So those are coming out. And better yet, this August, I'm going to a Paracon up in Michigan and Dacre is going to be there. So I'm going to get to meet him. And I bring that up because I haven't mentioned this. this is one of the things that's always sitting on the side. I've actually been working with, as a mentor, J.D. Barker. He's been working with me on my writing Good to for you, improve it. So this is like, whoo, small world, but all the, all geeky yeah. interests. That's honestly, I love that though. I love where you, you never know the connections you make, the friendships you make, how they're going to like play out over the course of time. And so when you go to a con and then someone introduces you to somebody else and they speak well of you, it's like, 
you couldn't give me a better gift. Now I got another possible collaborator, just someone to read. Like when I read the story, it's like, I know that guy. How cool is that? You know, Better I mean? yet. Better yet. Here's another story I got to share. So also Dean Hagland is going to be there. From 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 the three uh, Gun, lone gunmen, lone gunmen, yes. exactly. Yes, now, yes. I met him two years ago in Rhode Island at a conference that Colin was talking at. This was the smallest conference I've ever been to. There were like uh, seven, eight speakers, and then there was a couple vendor tables, and only twenty-one people showed up for the conference. So but then everybody gets such great quality time with I, the guests with each other. Yes, That's fantastic. I got to just hang out and talk with Dean Haglin for a long time at dinner. He like came up to just start talking to me because he's like, nobody else has talked to me yet. I'm like, please, yeah. you know, <laughs> I got to see right here. <laughs> so when I was, I went up to him, I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to bug you because nobody else is here. I'm like, I, I want a t-shirt and a poster or whatever else. He goes, Oh crap. Hold on. So he had like a stripe reader. He's plugging it into his phone. He's like, I've not used this. He's like, Oh man, it needs updated. Can you hold on a minute? And he, Oh, I don't know if I did that right. And I'm laughing my ass off. I said, dude, aren't you the tech guy from the Xbox? Cause well, yeah, but you know, that's, that's, and he's just I play like, that on TV. Yeah. Like, yeah. and I, was I can't just, do open heart surgery because I was Marcus Welby. You right? know? <laughs> so I am going to make a t-shirt. I've wanted to do this and I've been looking for him to show up again. Let's go have his face and says, I'm not really a tech guy. I just play one on TV. I, I'm going to give that to Dean Haglin. That's, that's, I can't wait. That's, that's very good. So, yeah. The best. You know, it's uh, boy. I, over the course of time, uh, it's been, you know, um, there's a t-shirt that says, you know, maybe I'm a little bit older, but I've seen all the cool bands. Yes. It's I've got only, one. Yeah. It's not only that. It's like, I was going to Gen Con when it was up in Wisconsin at Whitewater campus and it was a small affair. So if you were going to play games, you sat down to play with Gary Gygax, the guy who invented D and D. If you're you like, they, you got to play games where it was like, Oh, here's the prototype. And then it turns out to be the first, not back then, this is too old. The Settlers of Catan, the first rail baron, the first, you know, and back when it wasn't just D&D, that was the one place you could go to where they'd all be there. So you'd be able to compare between Dungeons and Dragons and Empire of the Petal Throne and Tunnels and Trolls. And like, I just had such wonderful opportunities, like you were saying, to just meet these guys. I, I think I might have told you this before, but I'll go on record. I went to Alcon one year. Not me, Weird Al. They had, you know, there's a, Chicago was Weird Al Central besides whatever his fan base was in California. There was a particular um, kind of a crazy fun lady, uh, Grace, I think, I don't remember her last name, that was just such a fan that she kind of single-handedly put together this convention. And it was maybe not 21 people, but it was a couple hundred, kind of what FUMP has become. FUMP is the funny music project, and a lot of the same people are there. So everybody's making funny music shows up, and they're selling their CDs, so that's when I bought everything I could get my hands on. And, like, Weird Al is there. And so two people are talking at a table, and they're like, you know, I thought that this lyric meant this. I thought it this. And God just goes, Al! And yells over, and they get from the horse's mouth exactly what was going on when, how'd you come up with this riff? What does this mean? You know, it, it was the coolest thing to be able to have beyond the glitter of somebody up performing on stage, which is very cool anyway, to just be able to spend some time and laugh. And and occasionally it's like, you know, the whole bunch of witty things were said here. I wonder if any of those things are going to be like show up in a song lyric, make a little reference on the back of a CD. Hey, thanks to the people at Elcon for warm welcome. It, it just was 
if if we talk about you know the world is tribes man i love those people and i yeah. love being part of those people and one of those things on sunday morning nobody wants to leave you're all like can we just like stay here can we just have this fun all the time right. it was sleepless and exhausting and wonderful and and just and you find out that your heroes don't have feet of clay they're wonderful people weird al is total salt of the earth cool as is all of his band you know what i mean oh, I over bet. the course of the years i've had just I such mean, if you make farts with your hand you can't be pretentious <laughs> <laughs> i guess you know and even just the um seeing how they take time for everyone that sometimes it's a little bit weird at cons you can have people that are really too much of a fan and they will monopolize every single minute of the guest of honor if they possibly can and some people have become very skilled at well thanks bill but let's let's make sure that everybody gets a chance and so it's it's family you know it's not that only the nobody gets a chance to spoil it which is a possibility when you have that kind of intimate atmosphere if you will so i don't know man at comic cons and science fiction i've just had such so many wonderful times and i'm trying to think of like i think i might have name dropped before you know i go to a comic con and martin nodell the creator of the original green lantern is sitting there but he's not getting enough attention neither is gene colon neither is gardner fox neither is you know ray bradbury and like I don't even know that I recognize them on site, but you read the name tag and you're like, oh, yeah. can, can it, I just be near you? Can I just how you, oh, how you tell man. the difference between the true nerd geeks and the the modern you know, wannabes, I guess. Yeah. You know, I, 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 Julia Schwartz, I just, uh, with a number of people that I've had a chance to have a nice conversation, I think I mentioned at the very last Cleveland Comic Con, which was like pretty much a year ago and a month now, I had a chance to talk with Jim Steranko for like an hour. It was on Sunday morning, and, and uh, he didn't have enough people coming to his booth that he and I continuing talking wasn't taking any sales away. It wasn't, you know what I mean? I wasn't glomming his time, but he... Maybe because I was a little bit older and we could have a chance to talk about a lot of comic book history and a lot of, like, when you say, who's your favorite, um, it's kind of a nature question in a way. But when you can put, well, I like this guy for this and this guy for this. And when in the act of seeing those things, he gets that idea of, you might have a little more to say here than the usual, I only have five years of comic books, so I only know my favorite is going to be this guy who's only five years in the industry. Right. And it was... I don't know, man, we really had a very nice time. And I think that he had as nice time as I did, which is like, it's not at all that I'm on his level. He's a superstar. He's created amazing things. So incredibly talented. And yet there must be a hunger in those guys to be like, wow, I didn't just have another thank you, thank you, thank you, shake, shake, sign, sign, that he actually like had a, a cool adult conversation, had a fun conversation. We laughed our asses off. You know what I mean? It was... There must. I, I hope that I was able to offer that to him a little bit of humanity right. in a place where it's often blurred faces and everything's rushed. You know what I mean? Right, so right. anyway, well, that that's been my. Uh, I guess if I was making a bucket list of the upper list celebrities, first of all, if you're talking a list celebrities, most of the time I'm not even interested. I could care less if I was sitting and talking to Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise. Okay, it's normally the the lower echelon if you want to rank them in some way but it's all character anchors or or you know b movies or whatever that yeah. is okay yeah it's yeah always somebody that i feel i'd rather sit and go in the backyard and have a hot dog roast with <laughs> rather than you know something else like I, and you know it was great when colin was 12 he got to meet stan lee and you know that but it was 
We had to walk up to the bodyguard, hand the bodyguard the book, shuffle sideways when it was our turn. Hi, Stan, how you doing? While he's saying he's great. Nazi-wise almost, you know? know, Literally, it was like 13 seconds, and Colin's like, oh, it's Stan Lee. I love him. He's like, oh, great, kid. Keep it up. You know, we move sideways, and (laughs) we take our book, and we walk out. What fun is that? Stan never remembered us. I barely remember the whole thing. But I'll tell you what, I had a really good time talking to Dean Haglund <laughs> at a, yeah. a little hotel. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I'd much rather do that with a couple people than try and, oh, I got my autograph book. Who cares? Right. You know, one of the one of the stories I love reading is they have many tales of the Comic-Con, San Diego was a big one, but also various other Wizard Worlds. And there really are some people that are in the industry that are longtime fans as well. So they're not just at the booth signing things and kind of being, you know, unapproachable. They're out on the floor. They want to get their copy of, you know, Iron Man meets the Melter for the first time, just like everybody else does. So Nathan Fillion, Fillion does that. And, and uh, Adam Savage does that and various others. And then you hear the stories of where people are just kind of like standing in line because they're going to buy a T-shirt and people notice who it is, but they want to be cool about it. They're not immediately, hey, everybody, it's Neil. And they don't, not, there's like a rush of craziness and stuff. Right. It's not the Beatles <laughs> getting mobbed by screaming kids. And I had that, luckily, happily, a couple times where it's like, you know, like you look a lot like this guy, right? like, That's me. and it's like so I won't, I won't, I won't let on. But then we, while we're waiting in line, we have a really nice conversation, and just that I always hope that I'm hoping up, holding up my own end, that I'm not making him feel like, oh no, the crazed fan. You know what I mean? Please don't he'll lick me or anything. Right, right. You know what I mean? Right. It's just, I love seeing that people are human as well as being that wonderful talent, that wonderful – sometimes it's the wonderful luck. You know what I mean? You don't oh, always yeah. know that well, your character is going to um, be lightning in the bottle. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> what, what's his name? Uh, Johnny Winters, uh, Frank, the, the Frankenstein. Exactly. I was at it. Actually, that's Edgar. Johnny is his brother, but okay. yeah, you know, right. But okay, they're right. both albino, which is quite distinctive. <laughs> I was at the airport once. And him and his band came walking through, and I'm like, "Yeah, that's Johnny Winter." So I'm like, "So I went up, and said, hey, sorry to interrupt you. Just wanted to say I, I loved your music stuff.' I was the only person the whole half hour that approached them to say anything. So I'm like, in this whole airport, I'm the only person that recognizes this guy. Yeah. And I've been listening to Michael Rosenbaum's podcast. He was Lex Luthor on the Smallville TV show. Yes, exactly. And he, he was and, great in that role. Very, very oh, good. I love, yes. Yeah. I, I, I love the guy just from that. Um, but he interviewed um, Rob Benedict and Richard Spite from on our Supernatural, uh, God and Gabriel. And they're good friends. They've done, a, I think I mentioned it before, Kings of Con TV show. Um, yes. But the one time, I don't remember which one. One of them was like, uh, had a band and played and the other one listened. This was an early supernatural conference before they did the music. And like all the other actors had left and he was, Rob was the only one listening to Richard's band play. So afterwards Rob got in line with everybody else to get up there and shake their hand and get, and the rest of the band's going, Oh my God, you're so-and-so. And he's like, well, you're playing with God. You know what I mean? Exactly that. You know, I'm here to see him. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Very That's fun. Really cool. So before we cut things off, um, mm-hmm. you got any good books or music you've been listening to this week? So I, I mentioned that I got the Dean uh, Kuntz 
Frankenstein books. Yeah. And I meant to sprinkle them amongst other things, but they were so good I devoured them. So a five book series, they're, they're um, terse. They're very uh, uh, sharply written, but the characters are good and there's a lot of humor and danger and all that kind of stuff. So I really like them. Um, I just mentioned one of the um, interesting joys of having been a COVID year, I haven't gone to all my usual haunts for a year. And then when you finally like get your shots and get your two weeks and can go out there even with a mask on. So I found, I really like John Sanford, who I think Stephen King called like the best summer read of all time. He writes a couple of great series, the Prey series with Lucas Davenport and the Virgil Flowers books with that fucking flowers and the, the kid books. Anyway, um, I had missed two in each of those series, you know, last year's and this year's. And when I, so then I come home with like, I got four great books to read. I'm like, and then I also, uh, Marty, our friend, uh, Martin Megan had mentioned that Benedict Jacka had a new book out in the Alex Vera series. And I found out I was missing two of those. And then since I mentioned earlier, Spencer, uh, Sonny Randall, who is, you know, a private uh, investigator lady that was in the Spencer books. Michael Lupica has a new book out of that. So I don't know that I can recommend them, except that I have all seven of them, and I kind of can't wait. You so know what I mean? know what yeah, the next couple of weeks are going to be. <laughs> exactly. And, and it's, you know, it's one of those things that the, the series are so good that when I, if I would have got any of these, I would have stopped reading what I was currently reading and picked this book up instead. used to be that way with the Destroyer books. I loved Warren Murphy and Richard Sapir, and Warren Murphy when he continued it. Whatever I was reading when a new Destroyer book came, I like devoured it in a day and a half. I just love those books. And these are like that where they're, I don't want to, I kind of want to make them last. So I'm not going to read two and two. And I'm going to be like sprinkle one amongst each of the other things and stuff like that. But I keep like, you know, Colleen and I always have our last hour of the day reading in bed, and I keep like turning to her and saying, These are so good. Let me read you this passage. You know what I mean? It's like the perfect gunplay, the perfect witty passage, the perfect criminal interrogation. I don't know. They're they're just and she does the same for me. And uh our subject matter might not always be the same, but the appreciation for the wordsmithing and the the building of tension and the I don't know, man, I just I'm glad these guys are here on the planet at the same time I am and still going and whatever they put out, I want to read it because I, there's just such a, a joy to that. Um, trying to think what else I, uh, music wise, I, uh, let's see, I subscribe to Prague magazine, which comes out of England and, um, every month, so there's been a little bit of disruption of service because things aren't always coming from foreign countries into here as easily. So my order is now screwed up, but they have a, um, CD of bands you should listen to on each one, and it's always cool new stuff. It's not like Yes and Genesis. So, so it and comes with a CD? Like it comes with a CD. That's it's cool. in a plastic poly bag, so it comes together. And I would say probably three out of ten cuts on every single CD, I've been like, let's add that to the queue on Amazon, and when the price comes down, I'm jumping on it because I really like these guys. And it's, you know, Renaissance Prague, or it's cinematic Prague, or it's the oh, various different cool. flavors of that. And it's just, it's nice to have... I, um, one of the unjoys of the internet is everything's out there. You need sometimes a curator that's going to do that. Hey, I've listened to a lot and this is what stood out this month and their taste is enough like mine that I'm happy to have that. So yay, Prague magazine, yay, the sampler CD, because they, it's so easy to get caught into. I'm going to listen to that Kansas album for the hundredth time or Spock's beard or ELP. But yeah, you know, I, I, what am I saying? I was like, I'm, I'm only three figures. You, you know what I mean? But they have turned me on to so much great new music, just like going to Progtoberfest in Chicago, a great 
fan of Prague used to have it at his club. He owns a club in Chicago. And another one of those places where um, a couple heavyweight acts to be able to sell out Friday and Saturday night, but tons of other, like, here's a cool Zappa-esque band. And this guy's, these are like um, Brand X or whatever else it might be. And I come out of there like, armloads of cds you know because they they have like three cds out and it's like well they're regularly 10 bucks if but it would give you all three for 20 it's like i got cash right. i i used to go in there saying to colleen you know i i'm going to try to hold myself back but this is striking when the iron is hot there's never a concentration of cool music as much as at this event yeah. so please don't freak out if i spend like hundreds of dollars because there's so much good stuff here right. and wonderful <laughs> hey, uh, i was also going to mention i forgot to mention last week when we were talking a couple weeks ago about getting the covid shot uh I, just so it's clear for whoever's listening i wasn't against it and i wasn't saying no we shouldn't get it i was just too lazy to have to schedule <laughs> things uh, and wait for because you had to sign up and make right, a slot. I, exactly. I was waiting until okay. it opened up and it, i just went clicked signed up and went and i was done i didn't want to drive five hours i mean some of the people you know marty i think drove like three hours twice to yeah. go get the shot and i'm like oh, screw that exactly. i haven't gotten it in a year i can be good for another couple weeks uh, when i can sign up and in five minutes run down to the local store and be back that's what i was waiting for it's just laziness more than anything Honestly. It, it, yeah, honestly, it's really good to hear that. I, you know, I mean, I, really, I got it. I'm so much. I want you to be around forever, and I, <laughs> I don't want it to be. You know, of all the things we're going to disagree on, I want it to be Mac versus Windows as opposed yes. to vaccines well, do or don't work. You know right. what I mean? Oh, it's yeah, like, right. oh, no, no, yeah. And, and honestly, <laughs> most of what I was pleading devil's advocate is just to get the conversation because if we both say, "Well, yep, I agree, we should get it." Next topic. Eh, it's not very interesting radio. I'll right. just be a devil's advocate for that. Yeah, yeah. But actually, it's fun. You know, it's part of what I try to usually do is not only say what I think, but why I think it. When we used to have our salon, you know, um, Penny University, always what I tried to get from people is you, you have a lot of thoughts and beliefs, but you really should understand, like, where you got them from. Is it because your mom yeah. and dad thought that way? Because you learned it from school, from church, from a book? And, like, how well can you explain it to somebody else so you could give that same important thing away? And so that's kind of what I, I guess I do appreciate you playing devil's advocate because it was fun to talk about messenger RNA and fun to talk about that there's real, like, rigor. Science really works, and sometimes it works acceleratedly when the chips are down, and that it's kind of cool that we can benefit from that instead of being, oh, God, they didn't shyster this. They really made something spectacularly good happen. And there's still bugs to be worked out. Maybe bug is not the right word. There's <laughs> Well, literally, <laughs> yeah. there's bugs to work out. <laughs> right, right. But you know what I mean? And, and it is, I don't know, I hope that we will see that wonderful virtuous cycle return here, circle, that as we discover there's new variants and they have to be fixed, that we now understand it well enough that we can treat it like flu. We're going to conquer those new ones. We're going to put together a shot that's good against not just one strain, but the next four strains. And this is going to become as regular as, hey, everybody, it's getting cold. You're going to be indoors more and seeing your family. Go get your COVID shot, just like you go get your flu shot and be safe. Yeah. And that's I'm hoping that the world will rise up. You know what I mean? So, I, I mean, I heard one lady in the line uh, when I was there for something else. She's talking like, oh, I just don't trust getting vaccines. And I'm thinking, lady, oh. you got them when you were a kid because she was like 30, right. you know. And then she's like, and, and then they're using experimenting with these new messenger RNA. And they don't even know what that means. Yeah, they know what it means. That's yeah. why they're using it. I'm like, oh my god, I'm, I'm reading. Yeah. I, I got to. You read. don't know what that means, and that's you know. Well, that's 
I know we're, we're coming to a close. Maybe that's a topic for another time. There really is that weirdness of if I don't understand it, then nobody does. Come on, please have some humility, have some humanity about there are people that have devoted their life to this. They really have specialized. They really know a ton of stuff and they're trustworthy. They didn't do it so they could scam you. They did it so they could save the world. They really, you know, if you're a medical professional, you really took that Hippocratic oath seriously. 99% of the time, I'm sure there are charlatans in that field like there are in any other, but not where you should paint them with. They're all just out to make money. They're if all just out think, to If you keep. think the, the 9,000 scientists are all colluding together to inject things into your body that the government's paying them and every government official is in on this, if that's what you really believe, Hey, I've got a bridge I could sell you and some land I could give you that's ocean. That's right. See what they do. That's the same weirdness that's been going on about climate change and global warming. That's like, you're right. There's a vast conspiracy of every good, smart person that instead is trying to fool you and let you destroy the world. Oh, man. You know how many times <laughs> I made this comment to my wife recently uh, that yeah. I've been talking with people and I bring something up. And they look at me and they're like, no, you, you don't understand. Let me explain this. And they like start talking down to me like I'm three and they're explaining this. And I'm like, yeah, I get They're like, hold on, let me finish. And, you know, and they're explaining this and telling me about it and explaining it. 30 minutes later, after more conversation goes on, they bring up, well, if you're going to say that, what about this? And I'm like, that's what I said 30 minutes ago that you said I didn't understand. So really I'm 30 minutes ahead of you folks. I'll be back, you know? <laughs> So, oh, well. All right, man. Okay. Uh, let's see. I know, we, as usual, we had, like, a long list. We got to, like, two out of ten things. I think we and, hit yeah, the big ones. We I think we hit about. a lot, actually. Exactly. I, and I, the boys, with the delight. <laughs> I, I, uh, let me tell you this. I, I, I want to put it down. I definitely want to talk about this next week a little bit because it'll be an interesting, different viewpoint from the two of us. But sure. Gina and I have gotten together with Colin and a friend of uh, ours, and we started a whole nother podcast that deal, deals with cryptids and supernatural. And, right. and I want to tell you a little bit about it. But the fun thing is she's the experiencer because she has seen and experienced things. Colin is the skeptic. Ron is the investigator and the uh, speaker. And I'm the tech guy and the believer so we use all four of our perspectives to really talk cool. about things so i'll have to tell you about more of that next week okay I, I would love to hear more about it as you know we went one of the ways in which we first connected was i came to hear colin's lecture lecture at akron public library where was it summit some some place remember and it was like i don't know i really want to be in support of people who are like doing that kind of investigation even if i think that well i'm going to need a lot of proof myself you well, know what I mean? And so. I think that's interesting because that's what we are trying to show is we don't want to say, yeah, oh, man, that's got to be a Bigfoot. Or, oh, boy, that's got to be a ghost. That between us, we want to believe in it, but not just be taken in by it and come go. up with. And it's so hard because I'm the tech guy. And my basic stance is, well, there pretty much isn't any video or pictures or audio that couldn't be faked. So it calls everything into question and you can't believe any of it. Yeah. And, yeah what's the best explanation? And even that might not be all yeah. the way to provable truth. Exactly. Right. So okay. I guess the best of what we got is here's the strongest things we have that could right. be something. That's the best we're probably going to get. Very cool. Very good, Stephen. Okay. Next week. Later, man. All right. Take care. Steve. 
You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on geek topics of the week.